Welcome. You're listening to the Ultimate Questions Podcast with apologist John Topic. Bite-sized apologetics to discover the believability of Christianity. Hello, and welcome to the Ultimate Questions Podcast. For the past few episodes, we've been looking at the arguments against miracles to see if they stand up, and we found that they're largely based on bias and commit multiple fallacies. So now I want to see, is there any good reason to think miracles do actually occur? If we were to try to show that, the only real way that we can do that is by looking at examples. Realistically, we can't use the scientific methodology that's repeatable and testable because we're talking about the actions of God, and we can't just demand that God perform for us. So if we want to see if miracles do occur, the main way that we should go about showing that is by looking at examples. Many Christians all over the world for the past 2,000 years have had incredible stories of how God has supernaturally moved in their life. So I thought it would be great if I could bring some of my friends on who have experienced these sorts of things. So our first miracle story here on the podcast is going to be an old student of mine, Eden Maltby, who had shared some of her stories in class the one week, and I thought she would be an interesting one to have on the podcast to share. So thank you, Eden, for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Right. So you had said that you had a, a couple of miracle stories that had happened uh, at a camp that you were at. So do you mind sharing a couple of those? Sure, absolutely. Um, so these actually happened within like a few hours of each other. So it was like uh, just a crazy day. I was quite young. I, I was going to the camp. I wasn't even a leader. I don't know. I was like 15, maybe even younger. And um a bunch of us just decided that God can do miracles and we had heard about it. And so we said, we're just going to go around. And if, if we find people who need a miracle in their life, we're going to pray for them. Mm -hmm. And so we encountered this one girl who had eczema and severe eczema, like all over her arms and her legs. And so we laid hands, we put our hands on her and, and started praying. And, and at the end of the prayer, you know, said in the name of the father, the son and the Holy spirit be healed. And we lifted our hands off of her and the eczema was gone. And it was almost spooky, right? Like when you see something like that, you were like, oh, oh my gosh, like this works. This is real. Let's do it again. You know, like very, very excited. So, so you could actually, so it was like visibly seen. You could actually see it. Oh, absolutely. It was and like, after you pray, it's not there anymore. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So it's not really just like you having faith. Oh, a miracle happened. It's like, no, you saw it happen. No, I physically saw it. And it wasn't even just me, right? It was like this group of people. And even I remember the uh, the girl, she um, was a little bit younger than me, but I knew her through camp. And um, she was even like astounded, you know, like looking at her own body in tears. Like, how is this? How did this just happen to me? You know, it was wow. very, very cool. Wow. Awesome. Yeah, so that was the first one. Then the second one was um, also at that camp. And so we had a friend who had a very severe learning disability. And so um, he had been coming to the camp for a couple years at that point, and uh, he couldn't read. And so we decided, hey, we're going to pray. We're going to pray that God allows you to read. And so we started praying and in the same kind of way, just kept going. And at some point, someone, you know, kind of closed it off. And I remember giving him a Bible and saying like, try and read. And he just like opened it up to some random, you know, or I can't remember if I gave it to him or if he opened it or whatever, but ultimately he looked down and he just started reading 
like no problem. And I remember all of us like freaking out, like jumping around being like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. You can read, you can read, you know? So <laughs> I had never, ever, like we always talk about these physical healings, but to, to talk about something where it's like in your mind, right? Like it's development, it's, it's learning. And so reading is something that people do and you have to learn it and whatever. Right. So it was just so cool to see him jump from like, I'm, you know, a preteen or a teen who can't read to I can read. And actually right after that, we went home that week and he added us on Facebook because before he couldn't really do much of that because he couldn't read, right? Mm-hmm. You have to kind of read to get around. And so, yeah, I have him on Facebook and, and see his posts every once in a while. It's very cool. So in that sense, sometimes people will hear stuff like this and they'll say, oh, it was like a temporary thing. But like here, he was continually able to read after that point. That's it. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow, fantastic. So then you, I believe you had a third story that you wanted to share with everybody as well. Yes, I do. So um, I had a friend who just a couple of years ago, I, um, I got a call saying that he um, wasn't feeling well, whatever, went to the hospital, lives in the GTA. And uh, he got all his, his checks and he got some scans done on his lungs and the doctors um, gave him a call and told him that, you know, we found a mass and we can't confirm that it's cancer, but there is a mass. Um, we're going to send it off. We're going to send you to more tests, see what happens. And um, so he's a family friend. So my family and I decided to start praying and fasting and all at the same time. So anybody who knew, he's quite private, so he didn't share with a lot of people, but everybody who knew, we started to pray and fast um, at noon every single day. And throughout a, about a week's time, he, he got this message from God or, or he believed that it was this message from God. And, and uh, he goes, I really believe that God's going to heal me. Like, this is going to be gone. This isn't going to be anything. It's not going to be cancer. It's going to go away. And, and slowly he started saying these things like, I really think it's going to be Friday. Like, I, I have this hunch that it's going to be Friday. And so we just said, all right, so we're praying for Friday. So we're fasting and praying at noon. And, and that's exactly what happened. So on Friday, he got a call at noon. Uh, from a doctor saying, hey, your your recent scans came back and there was nothing there anymore. We don't know how that happened. And uh, I actually do remember the doctor saying, um, well, my friend told me that the doctor said that, you know, I don't know if you believe in miracles, but this has to be one because wow. it doesn't make any other sense. So it's cool to hear like a medical professional also say something like that, right? So even the doctor was astounded. Like, how is this even possible for it to just suddenly be gone? So it wasn't just that, oh, you're okay. The mass was no big deal. It's like, no, the mass is actually gone now. And the doctor themselves being willing to say, this seems miraculous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. Well, thank you very much for sharing those stories. Definitely great examples that we serve a miracle working God and that miracles and supernatural things aren't just fairy tales in some storybook. It actually is real. God actually does interact with us. So thank you so much for sharing those. Thanks for having me. The next guest on the podcast today is Susan Hotchkiss, which is a friend of my family's and we went to the same church for many years. And my dad actually witnessed her miracle take place. So I thought it'd be great, Susan, if you could share your story with us today. Thank you, Jonathan. Thanks for um, inviting me. My story starts when I was 20 months old and uh, my mom knew something was wrong with my eye. My left eye would turn in. It was lazy. And um, of course, I couldn't see anything if it fell right in front of me, but I could see far away. So they call that farsightedness. Yep. So I was 13 years old and we were attending Central and um, 
Lulu Roman and her husband were there giving their testimony. And uh, during the altar call, I said to my mom, you know, after hearing their story, I really believe God could heal my eyes and I wouldn't have to wear my glasses anymore. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. my mom had been saved about two and a half years by this time. And um, so anyway, she said, okay, well, let's go up to the altar and uh, we're going to have you prayed for. And so we went up to the altar along with many other people and um, Pastor Angus Nicholson mm -hmm. at that time and your dad, Pastor Topping, were there and they prayed over me for healing of my eyes. And re we really believed God would heal my eyes. And so anyways, we took my glasses off after we had prayed and they turned me around and asked me to read the clock that was just sitting on the wall below the, uh, on the balcony wall. Mm -hmm. And of course I couldn't read it right away. It wasn't too, too clear. And so um, we just kept believing God and praising the Lord and singing praises. And we were there for a while and um, just praising the Lord. And before I left the church building that night, I could turn around and read that clock as clear as a bell. Oh, wow. So we just believed the Lord was healing my eyes. I never once put my glasses back on because I said, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I don't want to wear these anymore. I'm a teenager now. <laughs> and uh, so anyways, um, you know, over the years, my eyes just became, they were just wonderful. Like I could see things like people couldn't see, like hair on the floor, if you will, and <laughs> just stuff like that, you know? And so praise God, they've been, it's been, uh, um, let's see, that was 13. So it's been over 40 years that the Lord has healed my eyes. And um, I only wear glasses now when I have to read. Um, and that's simply due to aging. <laughs> and um, I still have my glasses <laughs> that I took off that night and never put back on my face. And they look like they are quite thick. They're very thick. Yeah. I had very thick um, uh, lenses at that time, or right up until I, I finished wearing them. And so God really um, proved himself to be a healing God. I actually grew up with my dad telling me your story different times. And the way he remembers it is that Angus was praying for you and my dad could watch your crooked eye come straight and face the right way. But then it went back to being crooked. And Angus said, no, I said in Jesus name, be straight. And the eye went back to being straight. Uh, and my dad actually watched your eye move and shift into the correct position. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. There's, I'm older now, so I forget some of the stories. <laughs> you're exactly right. As you say, it, 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 that is right. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. You're very welcome. Thanks Great. for having me. So our next guest on the podcast today is Wes Huff, who is a fellow apologist like myself. We've actually had him on the podcast before, and he's going to share his miracle story with us. Thank you, Wes, for coming on again. Pleasure to be here. So do you want to share a little bit about your story from your childhood with us? Yeah, so after my, uh, or just before I should say my 12th birthday, I was diagnosed with a rare neurological condition that left me paralyzed from the waist down. 
And I actually have a, a section of my mom's journal from that time. And at the top it says January 8th, which was the day that this took place. And I had actually been home from school. It was a Wednesday and I had had the flu. So I was staying home from school and I was, as my mom says, uh, uh, she describes me being very sick and says that she'd camp me out on the bathroom floor close to the sink and the toilet for reasons we don't have to go into. <laughs> and uh, she says, Wes falls asleep, but when he wakes, he calls me and says, Mom, I can't feel my legs. I ask him if he's sure and then scratch his lower leg up to the mid-thigh. He shakes his hand, indicating there's no feeling. She then goes on to say that she called a friend of hers who's kids had also had this flu to see if this was you know a symptom that made sense and when her friend told her that it wasn't she was advised to call 911 and so she eventually called telehealth which encouraged her to call an ambulance and I was rushed to the local hospital there at the time we were living in a small town in central Ontario and the local hospital there basically they concluded that they didn't have the expertise to figure out what exactly what was going on and so I was rushed in ambulance to a hospital in London Ontario uh, so all of this the the journal entry starts at 4 30 p.m. that night and by 6 30 I was in in London by uh, 8 I had had a number of tests done to me an MRI uh, blood taken they'd done a lumbar puncture which is a a spinal tap and by 11.55 in the journal, it says, West returns, results are positive, no cysts, no tumors on the spinal cord, no swelling, diagnosis, body might be attacking itself. Mm. And basically what they told me, what was happening was that my body's immune system, instead of attacking the flu that I had, it attacked the nerve endings at the base of my spinal cord, causing inflammation and leaving me a paraplegic. And so I, I was paralyzed from the waist down. And uh, the condition, uh, which I think I mentioned before, if I didn't, is called acute transverse myelitis, which is a word that you can forget as soon as you hear it. <laughs> but if you look it up online, it, it says in, in the prognosis section that generally the more rapid the progression is, the worse the prognosis is. And as far as I knew, I mean, mine was instant. Uh, I'd literally woken up and was paralyzed from going down for a nap, not being paralyzed. And so based on that, the uh, the diagnosis was that I, I, would, I would probably be a paraplegic for the rest of my life. There was some hope that through physical therapy and years of um, stuff like that, that I might be able to walk. Uh, they said I probably would never be able to run but that I was most likely going to be a paraplegic. And the short story is that that happened on January 8th of that year. On February 8th, one month exactly to the day, I woke up on a Saturday morning, got out of bed, uh, walked over to my wheelchair and sat down. And that was it. And as quickly as it happened, it seemed to go away. And uh, there were there were no side effects. Uh, there were there was no muscle atrophy from not being uh, my legs not being used for those four weeks. Did it take you a second to realize after you got at it up from your nap and walked to your wheelchair? Right, like 
you you walked to the wheelchair right and so did it take you a second to realize like hold on a second i'm okay yeah i definitely knew that something was different from the previous days or weeks that i had you know done the same sort of routine every day fallen out of my bed crawled over to my wheelchair uh, and that day i had walked over to my wheelchair and so i remember staring at the wall figuring out oh, what might have been different and uh actually now that i think about it i i looked down at my toe and i wiggled it and that was kind of the catalyst um that i, that I then got out of bed and i i ran upstairs got my parents and they made me run up and down the stairs uh, a few times after that while my my mom cried <laughs> and so through all this i remember you telling me before that um your school wasn't wheelchair accessible at that point because this was like before that was a mandated thing in Ontario. And so they had to build all those things for you because you were their first wheelchair student. Yeah, there, there was another student in my class who had a physical disability and he had a walker, but the school wasn't really outfitted. Uh, this was the early 2000s and it, um, it wasn't sort of mandated like it is today that there be wheelchair accessibility uh, across the board uh, and so there were a number of things that they, they had to do to the school, like like we also had to do to my house. It was a, the house that we were living in was an older, uh, I, I believe it was over a hundred years old Victorian house. Um, it was the parsonage of the church. Uh, my dad was a pastor, and and we had to put a ramp on our house, and that was new too, right? Uh, and and when my mom actually told the principal that I was healed, that that I was no longer uh, paralyzed, um, he cried. And I don't think it was because he was so overjoyed that I, I was no longer paralyzed. I think it had more to do with the fact that I'd caused him so much stress and anxiety uh, over all the, the things he had to do to his school. You had obviously numerous doctors looking after you and doing tests and giving you the prognosis and everything. How did they respond to this dramatic recovery? Yeah, I had three specialists who were in charge of me at the, at the hospital in London. And... Uh, I think there were there were more doctors than that who were overlooking my case, but there were three doctors in particular. Uh, we have a number of photographs from that time, and there are these three individuals. And I had a scheduled appointment. I believe it was a scheduled appointment already on the books uh, a short time after that date of February 8th. And so I went to that appointment and walked into the hospital. And it was the doctors who first used the word miracle. Um, really before I remember anybody else using it, uh, because they said, you know, we have no medical explanation for what's happened. Uh, you're, you shouldn't be like this. You shouldn't be able to walk like you're walking. And so, the, so, so the doctors were the ones that actually said, this is not something that should happen. This is a miracle. Yeah. I, my mom, well, one of the doctors asked my mom what we had done. And so she had said, uh, we prayed. And the story that my mom tells is that he eventually printed off a, a list of all the other kids in the intensive care unit and uh, gave it to her and said, can you pray for these? Um, maybe jokingly, maybe not jokingly, but either way, uh, I think, you know, there, there was a sense of something has gone awry here, that this shouldn't be the way that it is, especially considering the severity of, of my case and the the slow progression so that's amazing that like 
you should have been wheelchair bound the rest of your life, not able to run. And now like people can probably tell you're a fairly athletic guy, you know, you're able to do all that now. And literally the doctors even being willing to say, there's no medical reason, there's no naturalistic explanation for this. We consider this miraculous. So that, that works as a pretty good example of God answering prayer. Yeah, and there was, uh, I felt at that point in time, you know, that was elementary school. Um, but later on, as I went into high school, uh, the conviction that God had shown me something as simple as being able to walk in and out of a room that I was taking advantage of that. And so I invested a lot of my time and effort later in my uh, teens to athletics. Uh, I ran track and field through high school, went on to run uh, varsity track in my university undergrad years. And a big motivation of that was that uh I, I felt that I could glorify God in this simple way of not taking advantage of something that he had allowed me to be privy to, of how, how much we you know, take for granted something as simple as walking and running. Yeah. And then running track and field, that's glorifying to God, saying, thank you, God, for giving me my legs back. So that's, that's awesome. Well, thank you very much for sharing your story with us, Wes. Of course. Pleasure to be here. Thanks. Hi. Well, just from this episode of the podcast today, we've gone through several examples of real life miracles from real people that I know. And so hopefully that works as a bit of an example of actual miraculous supernatural things happening in the world today. So it's not just that we have defeaters against the arguments um, that are trying to stop miracles, but we actually have examples of miracles happening today as well, which works as evidence. And so some people might say, oh, this is just circumstantial evidence. But when you have many cases of circumstantial evidence, it works as corroborative evidence. So when you have a lot of people from Christianity saying, yes, I have seen miracles, that works as a case to show you miracles do still happen. I know in my apologetics class that I teach, every year I ask for a show of hands saying, who here has personally witnessed a miracle? And every year, almost every hand goes up in that. And I, I recognize it's a very religious context, but that's kind of where you would expect miracle stories to be of people that are actually practicing Christians. So we do see these sorts of cases where people that are actually following Jesus Christ do see the miraculous take place in their life. It's not scientifically predictable and we shouldn't expect it to be, but we do see many cases where God does interact with humanity. And when we look at the counter arguments against miracles, they all fail miserably. So I think that we have very good reason to think the miraculous does still happen. And at the very least, when we're discussing the resurrection argument and you give all the reasons why it looks like Jesus really did rise from the dead, if the skeptical response is, well, yeah, but that's miraculous and I don't believe in miracles, that's actually a biased position. There's no reason to be against miracles and there's ample reason to be for miracles. Well, this wraps up our short section on the arguments for and against the miraculous here on the podcast. And so I hope you'll join me next time as we go into more counters against the resurrection here on the Ultimate Questions podcast. This podcast was brought to you in association with Culture at a Crossroads, which is a podcast hosted by David Mann from Life 100.3. Recently, he's had on Guy Hammond regarding being a Christian while being same-sex attracted, but affirming traditional marriage, and Lindsay Shepard discussing freedom of speech, who was a teacher's assistant at Wilfrid Laurier and was chastised simply for playing a clip of Jordan Peterson. 
You can listen to his podcast anywhere podcasts are available or by going to his website, davidmanmedia.com.